now the cleanest hour in podcasting with your host, Ralph Peterson. This is the Housekeepers Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the House Podcast. My name is Ralph Peterson, and my guest today is Lindsay Van Zent. Hey, Lindsay. Hey, thanks for having me. It's that easy. That's how easy it is to go live on these channels. Isn't it fantastic? I'm impressed. So I'm... far, so good. <laughs> this has been a great interview with Cleanest Hour in podcasting. No, <laughs> it's over. That's how fast it happens. So I'm I'm so happy to have you on. We talked actually months ago, I feel like, when we... That's the challenge, you know, is it's like a blessing and a curse. On one hand, the the show is getting very popular. On the other hand, I'm booking people in October. I'm like, October. that's a good thing, though. I know. That's a good thing for sure. No, I agree. But then I'll be like, wait, what did we talk about in August? Where are you going to be on the show? What am I supposed to be talking to this girl about? No, I, of course, I know you work for Rubbermaid, which is very exciting. And you're also a G, let me see, it's a GBAC, a GBAC technician. Yes. Do you know what that is? Well, I, I know that it means you're a little bit of a badass. To, <laughs> did you see my post? That's what I called I you. did see your post. I was like, can you say that on social media? I don't know. I, well, I didn't spell the word. I used the, you know, the ampersand, not the ampersand. I used the, uh, you know, the at symbol as my, as my, I don't know what I'd use it as. Maybe the S. Yeah. I get it. Makes no sense. Yeah. Anyway, so I did. I think it's pretty great because you're, what that simply means for those of you in Rio Linda, and maybe not know what it is. All it means is that you are trained in how to be proactive when it comes to infectious diseases, how to, you know, clean up messes, biohazard. You're, you're one of those trained people that we call in the case of an emergency. Yeah, so the entire Rubbermaid Salesforce or kind of all the account managers, we went through the GBAC training i guess it was last spring maybe because really issa is kind of the the parent organization over mm -hmm. gbac it's the global bio bio risk advisory council is Got what it. that stands for but they just realized there was not really an industry standard for dealing with biological threats so they you know put together this protocol this training and it's really more for facilities to get credited or accredited and so we're on you know I'm not a facility. I'm an account manager with a manufacturer. So we're more kind of like support staff, I guess, so to speak, just trying to understand if a facility goes through that certification, what does that mean? Just teaching them how to prepare, respond, recover from you know threats, from biological threats or whatever. So it's just kind of an understanding that we have now of what that accreditation is and how we can support facilities that are looking to do that. So I think it's super it smart. sounds really cool. Okay. <laughs> it does sound really cool. I think it's really smart. And you know what? It's I'm going to dumb it down a little bit and I don't intend to, but just because of this way my brain works, I kind of akin it to the bank having somebody who does the, you know, the, the certify you know, the certification. What is that called? Where you can go in and like certify that you signed the document, you know, I don't know what it's called. You know what I mean? Like, it's like that added service. And I think it's so smart for companies to add those kind of support, not just services, but just giving your staff the knowledge to help your clients. That is super smart. Super yeah. smart. No, but, I think there's a, a big hole for it. There's a gap there and it gives facilities kind of some confidence that, you know, they're going in the right direction. A lot of it's stuff that all these facilities are probably already doing. It's just now it's documented and it's on paper and it, it shows that 
you know, the folks managing the facility know that they're using the industry best practices for that kind of situation. You know, one of the most surprising things that people learn when they talk a lot, I do a lot of seminars on CDC guidelines, the Department of Health guidelines, DOH, you know, and one thing that everybody's very surprised about mostly is how CDC, DOH, Department of Health, they don't give specific guidelines as much as they give overall intent. And so there's not do this or do that. It's more like, you know, the intent is not to overdo this or not to overdo that. And so there's like parameters. And if you want to nail them down on something they really want you to have, it's a plan. <laughs> like that's, the CDC, here's the big thing. They want you to have a plan. They yeah. want you to have an ability to communicate that plan. And then they want you to have the ability to follow up and improve that plan. That's, right. If you understand those three things, you literally got what the CDC wants you to have for biohazard responsiveness, you know, all that stuff. So that's really what it is. Yep. Which is again, what GBAC is. Yes. It's correct. Yeah. We didn't come here to talk about GBAC. We came <laughs> here to talk about you. No, I'm super curious about where you can't, where do you live now? Where are you from? I am in Indiana. I live in Indiana. Columbus, Indiana, about are you 40 from? minutes south of Indianapolis. Are you from there? I am born really? and raised here. Really? I ran yeah. a race in Indiana, a, a marathon race. And it was one of those, it was like a, it's like one of those races, like not like a big important race, but one of those rinky dink kind of in a park races. And it had every element. You ran on grass, you ran in sand, you ran in water, you ran on pavement. <laughs> I was like, that sounds about right. How is that possible in this one small area? You should come possible. back for the Indy Mini Marathon because they run on the Indianapolis Motor Speedway uh, on the track. Like it's part of the race course. I, I'm not a runner. I wish I was, but <laughs> so, but I think that is really cool because that's a unique, you know, experience yeah. for runners, something different. No question. I ran in Delaware at the racetrack where it started on the racetrack. So a one mile. So it is a one mile track. And so you have to do the, the track first. And it was very shocking how steep those were. Like, oh, it for is, sure. Yeah. It is. It doesn't look as steep as it is when you get in there. When you're running around it, you're like, holy hell, I'm going to die. You know, because you're going to fall <laughs> down. It's crazy. So born and raised there. And was, so what was it like growing up there? Was it good? Fun? Not good? Um, you know, it? it's probably about what you expect. I grew up in a fairly small town. There's about 40,000 people here and it's surrounded by cornfields. So, I mean, it's probably what you would think. We had a lot of good old fashioned fun, but I'm in between Indianapolis and Louisville and Cincinnati. So oh, nice. I'm actually only what, like three hours from St. Louis and three and four, three to four to Chicago. So we could go to any of the big cities for, you know, concerts or theater or shopping or whatever. So it's yeah, not, not bad. Far. It's a great yeah. place. I live here now with my four kids and it's an awesome place to have a family. So really? I don't think I will leave it. It would take a lot. Grandma and grandpa are here. So I think we're, we're stuck here. That's really great. There's not a lot of people that I meet that are both born and raised in a place and still living in the same place. Well, I should say after college, I couldn't get out of here fast enough. So I did <laughs> right. leave. I did leave and I went to Houston for a few years and Charlotte, North Carolina for a few years. And then I came back. So I have experienced life outside of this little bubble for some perspective on what the rest of the country looks like. But holy um, Charlotte is a massive city. Yeah. Char I loved Charlotte. It really? was so cool. Yeah. What did you do there? So that was 
the second role when I, I came to Rubbermaid or to Newell Brands, the parent company right out of college and did a position. And then I moved to Charlotte with Rubbermaid also to be on our healthcare team. At the time I was moving into, we were trying to create a healthcare dedicated team for Rubbermaid commercial products. And so in that position, I was calling on all the hospitals in North Carolina, South Carolina, and Atlanta. And they basically gave me a spreadsheet of all the healthcare facilities and just said, go, go, go meet them, go find the EVS team, kind of learn what they're using, you know, try and work with them to help train their staff on our products. And so that was, that was what I did in Charlotte for a couple of years. And then I moved to Indiana once my oldest was born. So that's, here I am. So that's like cold calling 101, right? Like you just spent an entire time cold calling people. It was all cold calling, but I loved it, which I is it really too. kind of weird. I have discovered. So there's a book called Strength Finder. Have you ever heard of Strength of course. Finder? Yeah, well, there's Strength husband, Finder 2.0 at this point. Oh, I probably yeah. need to do the second one. So <laughs> my husband, his company made them all read this book, Strength Finder. And he was like, hey, I really think you should check this out. So I did. And it turns out my strength is the woo. W-O-O, the woo. Do you know what that means? I do not remember what a okay, woo is. So it stands for winning over others. Oh. So it's like my strength is winning over other people, building relationships, which translates really well to kind of sales, account management, and especially cold calling because the thrill of the hunt is very exciting and motivational for me, which is so strange and backwards and almost embarrassing to say out loud. But that was a great job for me because I enjoyed it. It fueled my like, my inner being was to do the cold calling. So it's definitely not for everyone. And I, you know, then I was young and single in a different season of life. Now I wouldn't enjoy it so much. But but that was my first healthcare gig in, in Charlotte. I think I came to cold calling the opposite as you, where I first started out, I could not, it was really challenging for me. I couldn't do it. I didn't like it. I hated it. In fact, have you ever, I have too many things. Why do I have six <laughs> iPads, two phones? I try to shut everything off and I don't, of course, I miss one thing. I apologize. That's okay. But, what I was saying is that I had, I had a job in sales and they were like, you know, it's all cold calling. And, and I was like, yeah, no, you know, okay. And then, you know, here's your list. And I remember just being in a room with other people and we're all cold calling and we're all kind of watching each other. Cause you know, it's kind of like you're learning, oh, it's your turn, it's your turn. And I was so prepared to leave a message that I'm kind of rooting for, <laughs> come on answer machine, come on. And then the guy answered and I was like, uh, 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 did not know what the heck I was doing. Fast forward, now I start every day cold con and I love it. I like you. It's just an opportunity for me to introduce myself, to get to know somebody, to reach out. I really do enjoy it. Weird. I just enjoy people. So that translates really well into that role. I like learning new people, what makes them tick. And it just, it's good for me. It's not me fun too. all the time, the rejection, and you got to get thick skin that goes through that. But one thing yeah. I have going for me was Rubbermaid. It's a brand that anyone in this industry already knows, and we we have a good reputation. So I I don't know if I would like it so much if I was working for a company that the customers had never heard of. That might be a little bit of a different story, but at least I kind of had a leg up because they were familiar with the brand. 
it speaks for itself. So that is, that is a really good call. And when I was cold calling for this company I was working for, nobody had heard of them. And so I was not only introducing myself, I was introducing them. And at the same time, justifying why I was calling and bothering you during your breakfast. I was an early (laughs) caller, (laughs) but now I'm calling about me and I kind of feel like, and I know it's not true, but just because I'm making cold calls and you have to do it for yourself, I kind of feel like everybody's expecting my call. <laughs> that's kind of how I go into it. Hey, it's Ralph. As if we had a planned call. We never do, but that's how so I feel. So are your it. calls mostly to people to come on your podcast? Yeah. So that I'm a business strategist. So what I do is I try to find cleaning companies that want to work in healthcare. And so commercial cleaning companies say maybe right now cleaning, you know, class A buildings, schools, stadiums, you know, that kind of thing. But they've always thought about maybe they should look at healthcare, nursing homes, hospitals. And that's yeah. what I do. I help them transition. Not so much transition, but to expand. Like if you want to add that to your portfolio, that's what I do. And so that is awesome. And a huge I, need for that. Oh my God. Especially now there's always been kind of like a huge need for it, but nobody's, I mean, now, I mean, there's the, the challenge with our industry, the cleaning profession up until 2020 is to take the two words, cleaning and professional, and you put them together and people t- treat them like the words jumbo shrimp. They're like, that doesn't make any sense. You know, <laughs> I'm like, don't you remember one day at a time with Schneider? You know, that's my only professional cleaning reference. And, but now, you know, here it is 2021. I mean, the need, it is clear and is evident that there is a clear need for professional cleaners and you get professional cleaners by professional cleaning companies. And there's nowhere is there a bigger need for that than in healthcare. And so yes. it's a it's a big, big business. And but now I'm making cold calls and my call is I understand you own a cleaning company. Are you currently looking at healthcare or are you interested in looking at healthcare? And so that's that's kind of like the wrap now. But the show, I started doing a lot of outreach for the show, and then now everybody's at everybody's reaching out to me. There's still people I reach out to because there's people I really want to have on the show, but yeah. You made it, man. If people are coming knocking on your door, that's the best scenario. You know what my secret is, Lindsay? What I is make that? it all about you. <laughs> oh, <well. laughs> I'm honored to be on here. I still am like, I don't know what I have to share with your guests, but I'm flattered that you uh, you gave me I some think, time today. I think you have an amazing story. And, and we haven't even gotten to it so much yet, but, and I love what you currently do. And that's really what I want to talk about because I'm a big fan of Rubbermaid. I'm a big fan of cleaning industry. Rubbermaid is one of those industries that are not afraid to spend money on research and development. And because of that, you guys are at the forefront of creating some really great stuff because I don't know if you know this, but in housekeeping, we're having a staffing problem. I know everybody's having a staffing problem. But we're really having a staff problem. And so the better the technology, the easier we can do things, the quicker we can get things done, the less staff we can we can use. And this is not an anti-staff call. I'm not like, hey, let's get some machines in here so we don't have to have staff. No, no, no. I would much rather staff. I'd much rather use string mops and sweep floors and mop floors and do everything the old-fashioned way because it came out better sometimes. I just don't have the staff. And yeah. so, I, you know, in working in healthcare – we clean up after people who are at the end of life care. If we work in long-term care, they're, you know, in their sixties and seventies, if they're in senior care or they're in hospitals and they're dealing with tragedy in hospitals. And those are the people we're cleaning up after. And so, it, you know, it's, you can't be flippant and go, Oh, well, you just don't want to have staff. 
No, we want to have staff. We just don't have staff. So. Right. No, I hear that every day when I'm in facilities. And, and so I don't deal exclusively in healthcare in the role I'm in now. But, you know, universities, hotels, I mean, yes, long-term care, but food service or yeah. office building. I mean, everywhere I go, you're, I'm hearing the same thing, which is so unfortunate. And, you know, so many building managers now who used to be getting to do a management job are now back on the front lines because they've got to get the job done, you know. So my heart goes out to all these folks who are, are seven days in because they can't get a break. And it's it's a real problem. But to your point, we used to you know try and talk about the ergonomics of our products and how it can make uh, people more efficient with their time or, you know, less stress, physical stress on the body, which would help you do tasks easier or quicker or whatever. And I was told pretty early on, you can't go in and tell them that they won't need as many people. Like nobody <laughs> wants to have their numbers cut or sure. and they're like, you got to rephrase the message to be, you know, in a positive way, which I, I totally understand. But it's, it was never about having less people. It was le- having those people be able to accomplish more tasks in the time given with some more efficient or ergonomic products. So I hear you. Amen. Amen. Yeah. We used to, we used to have, we used to have two schedules. And one schedule is when you were full staff and one is when you were short staff. Mm-hmm. And the only reason why you come up with two schedules like that is because, you know, short staff tappings happens. Now we have one schedule. It's called short staff schedule. Oh. <laughs> because there never is a full staff. Yeah. Hopefully that, that that turns around. I, yeah. I don't know what we're looking at on a timeline for that. That's the new I normal, know. I think, for now. Yeah. It is. It is indeed. Anyway, so you grew up there, born and raised there. Where did you go to college? I did go to college. I went to Indiana University. I'm a what'd Hoosier. You, what'd you study? I studied marketing and international business. Why international business? Because why not? You know, I went on a mission trip when I was in high school to Honduras. I oh. had I took Spanish classes and I just I always thought that that was the direction I would go. I find other fast other cultures fascinating and kind of putting business in there, just identifying products and how they relate to different parts of the world. I I loved all of that. My path has not taken me down that route, but I minored in Spanish in college with the intent. My goal was to work at Continental Airlines because then I could travel for free, (laughs) which is hilarious now. But so anyway. That was my gig. I went to the Kelly School of Business at IU. And luckily, I don't know what it is now, but at the time, they were very adamant about placing graduates after college. So they had a whole office that it was called the BPO, the Business Placement Office, that as your senior year, they would help partner you up with interviews with companies. And, and I was matched with Newell. It was Newell Rubbermaid at the time. It's called Newell Brands now. Wow. So right out of college, I went off and started a job like a week or two after I graduated, I moved to Houston, Texas to start a job with new brands. So that's that's how I ended up there for a little bit. And how long were you in Houston? I was in Houston for about a year and a half, two years. So not, not very long, long, but long enough to get established, at least know the culture. And Yeah. Oh, I loved Houston. I, I loved, I actually can't say anything bad about Houston or Charlotte. Both of them were great places that I would have been content staying. It just, life took me other places. Yeah, but yeah, that yeah. role in Houston was looking back kind of hilarious. I managed almost 40 Home Depot stores for the, like, portfolio of brands under Newell Rubbermaid. So at the time, like you've heard of Rubbermaid and on the commercial side, you've got like brute trash cans, mop buckets, cleaning supplies. 
but then you have Rubbermaid home products or Rubbermaid consumer. And that's like the storage totes and the, the closet shelving or garage sheds or outdoor sheds, I mean. So we had those two lines, but then we also had Irwin tools. Have you heard of Irwin tools? Of course, yeah. Like saw blades, vice grips, before. Sure. Uh, Linux was another brand. They had hacksaw blades. Sharpie. So Sharpie marker is actually under our parent company. Um, I had no idea this is all under Newell Brands. Yeah. Well, the tools business has actually been separated. They are no longer, but they were that time. And then there was a couple others, but my job at that point was to go to a Home Depot store and kind of manage our portfolio of brands. So come up with product promotions, build up displays like in the stores, which is so funny to me now. I had like my DeWalt drill and I could rock a Home Depot store and, <laughs> and cut the wood and build out these like big boxes for products. Like it's so funny to me now. I was what, 22 and single and in a Home Depot, like creating all this stuff and taking over um, end cap space. Oh yeah, for sure. If I, I'd, I'd get it. to be good friends with all the buyers in each department and I'd be like, Hey, you need like 5,000 Sharpies, bring them in. We'll sell them. It was, <laughs> it was great. I, that was fun. But that position evolved. It was kind of like the recruiting feeder program for Newell Brands. So that was their thing. They would go to colleges, recruit at colleges, and they had, you know, hundreds of kids like me in Home Depot, Lowe's, I can't remember what the other retail stores they did it. I think we had a Walmart team as well. But so we'd have these big conventions and all these college kids would come and learn all the different product lines. And then we'd all go into our markets. They sent everyone away from where they lived. So you didn't, I didn't know anyone to have a life outside of work. So Wait, hold on a minute. That is brilliant. Yeah. That is brilliant for everybody out there who has a large company that's national and you're recruiting in your local area, what you have to do, what Lindsay is saying. You have to do is you have to hire them and then <laughs> move them to another part of the country so they can do nothing. They have no other thing to do but work. Right. They work 24 seven. There's a lot yeah. of people's ears perking up at this idea. This is such a great Yeah. Idea. I mean, I don't, I have to assume that was intentional, but that's how it works. Like we all <laughs> just kind of like whatever. Um, 100%. I love it. I love we it. We didn't know any better at the time. There was no other distractions. So that so, is yeah. a business strategy I can get behind. That's nice. I like that a lot. Yeah. So that was called the Phoenix program. And out of that, once kind of marketing or account manager positions in those divisions opened, they would pull out of that. And that's where I was pulled out for our healthcare team on the Rubbermaid commercial side. So that's how that transition happened. And that's how you moved to Charlotte. Yeah. 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 So, and funny thing is I was actually recruited Rubbermaid, Newell Rubbermaid had it was called EMAR, electronic medication dispensing, like a, a Rubbermaid medication dispensing cart. And I was told, hey, we want you to come and build up this team and you're going to go sell these EMAR carts. And I'm like, oh, cool. Medical sales. Yeah, man, I've made it. And then I get there and they're like, just kidding. Like, we're going to spin that off into another company. We really just want you to sell like trash cans and mop buckets and, and learn like the custodial staff, <laughs> environmental services. I was like, that is not what I signed up for, but it was great. I loved that role. That's actually probably my favorite role that I've had in my career so far. So no kidding. Yep. I learned so much in the like that couple year stint when I was on that healthcare team. It was really invaluable experience for me. And the big thing about it, it was when microfiber was still relatively new. And we were kind of, you know, some of the innovator game changers, early adopters of that microfiber technology. So 
the majority of my time in those you know years in Charlotte was going to hospitals and helping them convert from string mops to microfiber. And so it was, I got the brand, I got a new innovative product that it, it was such an easy conversation. And I love the training, like getting to work with the EVS staff and yeah. you have all these people, they're like, I refuse to use this. This is crap. I don't want to use this product. I'm a string mop for life. And getting to work with them and help kind of educate them on the science of microfiber and the benefits. And then they try it and then they're like, oh, wait, yeah, I actually kind of do like this. I don't feel exhausted <laughs> at the end of the day. And by the way, it cleans so much better. So that all, that was that role. I think that was so much fun because it was new and, you know, we had an industry leading product. Now everyone of the brother has microfiber, so it's not as exciting anymore, but I, I was, still love talking about microfiber. Don't get me wrong. And I do still think we have a quality product, but it wasn't that early adoption phase when it was new and exciting to everybody. I have to admit that I was one of those naysayers. I was working in a nursing home as the EVS director when we had somebody come and pitch us on whole microfiber. And I was just, they did not get it because I didn't want it. But like, after I left, they did get it. So, oh, they gave in. Somebody caved after you. Somebody caved. I, you know, I have a love hate relationship with it because, on one hand, I can definitely see, you know, I, the thing for me, and this is so silly, but the thing for me was all about the budgeting part of it. We yeah. just couldn't afford to sure. transition. And, you know, and so let me put it this way about a year before, the microfiber came out and we got pitched on it. I asked for five new housekeeping carts. We had these metal rusty housekeeping carts and the company asked me to buy one every three months. So every three months I would get a new one. Yeah. And so every three months I would have an argument, conversation, accusations flying around over who my favorite was because right. they were getting the new, why is she getting the new card? How come he's getting the new you know, it was like every three months I was getting accused. I was like, this is BS. And so then microfiber comes along and they're like, and you, by the way, you have to buy everything new. I'm like, there's no chance this is happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It no, took me five years to budget that much that overhead because you had to replace the mop, all the mop heads, all the mops themselves, the mop handles, the mop bucket, everything. Everything yeah. had to be replaced. Very expensive endeavor. It is, but we looked at it, you know, from a couple different lenses that helped build the story, the chemical savings, the water savings, hopefully, sure. you know, the, the reduction in HAIs and, you know, all that stuff. Sure. So, no, I agree. Yeah, I agree. I get it. I had that conversation with lots of people that are like, hey, this is never going to fly. But the key to success was always infection prevention. If I could get the IP involved, then it agreed. It, the conversation yeah. was pretty much over because for whatever reason, they have a lot more pull when it comes to budgets than well, you know, the EBS folks do. Well, <laughs> EBS, I don't know we, why. we don't have any pull with budgets, you know. Right. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I get it. I get it. Always on the bottom of the totem post. That's I'm, unfortunately I'm the nature of sometimes that role. A million percent. I think that's where whoever it was was selling to us made the mistake is they were talking about how much time that we could save. And we're, you know, at the end of the day, you're, you know, you're talking about not having to go back to the closet back and forth four or five times a day to change your mop water and all this stuff, which is really great. But we're only talking about, we're only really, you know, you looked at it, you're probably only talking about 20 minutes. And it wasn't like we could go and say, all right, everybody's going to work seven hours now. Nobody was yeah. taking that. You know what I mean? Like we have a great six hour job, find somebody to work six hours. Yeah. Right. So that's why, that's where we were having a little bit of a, 
he didn't focus on infection. He might, he should have. Oh man, no, we, we definitely do. I got yeah. Like next little book here. In wait a minute. I, I have, wait a minute. I have, you have one of these? I I do. I, oh my god, it's right here. Look at this. Not not to be outdone, my friend. Oh, not nice. to be outdone. How yeah, dare no, you? Yeah, this one sits right by my desk. It's super helpful. It so is. I guess super the people helpful. who aren't watching this, it's a little mini like pamphlet brochure, infection prevention for dummies. It's a really it's, good resource. It's, it's really for those great. of us that are not, you know epidemiologists or infection prevention for we don't have it memorized you know yeah no not so much <laughs> but anyway that was that gig it was a microfiber i mean obviously we have many products beyond that but that in healthcare is kind of one of our core that i spend the most time with i think that is really really fun did you did you work in high school at all did, i know you went to honduras but did you actually have a job or did you <laughs> uh, ever yeah i did work i worked for the parks and recreation in town i worked out of the gap at the outlet mall i did concession stands i i've always liked to work You're like and a I, little I like hustler money yeah no, which I is like so that. cool because i have a 14 year old and he is the same way and i love it He's my uncle is an auctioneer and he is working on Saturdays at his auctions, making money. And, and like, he's already talking about saving for a car. And I'm like, yes, like I, he's got the same like drive. To I like that a lot. Person. However, we were talking about Casey Everton a little bit beforehand. He's the bin blaster in Utah. You know, he's got a truck for sale. Get you oh. some. Maybe he can just buy this bin blaster truck. There he can start his own. I, I'm trying to get my 14 year old on board. That concept <laughs> bin blasters is genius. Casey will set you right up. Sell, you, sell him a truck and get him started. Yeah. And, ask uh, him what the market in Indiana is, if it's already taken or not. Nobody in my town. I was going to say drive up and down the streets and see if there's all, if there are stinky bins and then you'll yeah. know. Oh, there there's are. There's one in my driveway right now. See, there you go. There you go. You know, what's funny is how much opportunity is really out there for the cleaning industry. I talk, I talk about the cleaning industry all the time. I talk about it's the seventh largest industry in the world, but it could easily be the number one largest industry in the world because there's so much yes. opportunity. People who just aren't doing it. You know, going down the street in my neighborhood, you can see people are not picking up after themselves. Right. Which on one hand drives me crazy. But on the other hand, there's a lot of business to be had there. You know, it's don't clean up after you. If you're in this industry. I have a friend who is trying to figure out a new marketing campaign slogan. She runs a house cleaning company. She's like, I need, you know, some other marketing campaign slogan. I said, you have to have something about the pain point with 15 year olds, you know, do you want to argue with your 15 year old to give me a hundred dollars? Your choice. It's your house. You know, <laughs> I like it. That's good. Sounds like the easiest sale ever. If you ask me, like, you know, argue with the kids or just give somebody a hundred bucks. Anyone that has start. a teenager. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. No question. So you go from, you go from being recruited out of college, picked up from Rubbermaid, and then you go from Houston to Charlotte. Why did you leave Rubbermaid? Where did you go? What did you do? So after I was in that role in Charlotte, then I moved back to Indiana. I said, my 14-year-old, I was just mentioning, he was born, wanted to be ah, close to grandparents. Nice. So okay. that, that was the pull to come back to Indiana so that I had family around. And I actually did that healthcare role. I transitioned to doing that up here in Indiana and Chicago. So I each week would alternate back and forth in hospitals in Indiana and then up in Chicago, really working with infection prevention and EBS and just but doing, still for nobles, still for Rubbermaid. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And so after that, I, at that point I had a newborn and I was like, I can't do this whole traveling gig all the time. And yeah. 
I actually went to my boss to resign at Rubbermaid and I'm like, I don't want to leave, but this just isn't working for me with a baby at home. And the timing worked out, but the position in Indiana for an account manager, which is actually what I do now, that position opened up and he was like, I'm, what if we could get you a position that kept you in Indiana and still kept you with Rubbermaid? And so some things worked out. The person in that position took another role and I funneled into that. And that managing more of the distributors that sell Rubbermaid products across all industries. So it kind of transitioned away from a healthcare focus to now more of a broad focus with distribution. And then I got pregnant and had my second child and I was like, oh, and (laughs) my husband, we had the great debate. Do you work? Do you stay home? Whatever. Long story short, I ended up wanting to be a stay at home mom. So I took six years off from Rubbermaid. I left and and did that gig. I had a couple more kids and back in, let's see, 2019, I guess it was, one of my former managers sent me a message on Facebook and said, hey, I'm getting ready to open up this Indiana position. Is there any chance you would consider coming back to work? And it was just like the perfect time because my youngest was, you know, sleeping through the night and all that. And I, I loved Rubbermaid. I, w- I grieved when I left because I just like, this job is so great. The company is so great. And the timing was right. So I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll come back. And, you know, then hold, a few hold, months later, COVID. Hold, hold on. Hold on. You got yep. a Facebook message? <laughs> I did. Yeah, I did. Isn't that hilarious? You mean we're spending thousands of dollars on Indeed. We have ad campaigns going on in every major market in the universe. And somebody Facebook messaged you? Well, it was a previous manager. So like we were Facebook friends. It was legit. And I had a company number that had been probably shut off. So I don't, he might have not even had my phone number, but yeah, here you go. Facebook. That's all you need to do. Message the people you want to recruit. I don't think I'm legitimately baffled. I'm legitimately here just trying to figure out where to start and how to highlight what it is you just said because <laughs> it is so amazing. I remember I remember the first time that I was in a position where I couldn't get staff. Like I legitimately I was supposed to have nine people a day. I had two, you know, two out of nine is not the best. And I didn't, it's not like I had any new applications. I had no new applications. And so I remember just thinking, maybe I should call old applications. And I remember being coached by somebody who said, you should never, you know, call back people who used to work here or people who have applied in the past. You know, if they wanted to still work here, they'd still be pounding on your door, you know, and you literally are telling me the opposite. I think it was under the terms that I left because- he knew that I really wrestled with staying home or staying with my job. Like but we're talking so about I didn't leave to go years. to a competitor or another company. Like still it, six I left years the later. door open, I guess I would say. So it doesn't probably apply in every situation. And six. I don't necessarily recommend Facebook messages. How dare you? <laughs> Everybody should be Facebook messaging. Everybody who ever worked for you who didn't leave on the worst of terms, you just really email them. Can we actually have that Facebook message so we could play that? Yeah, I'm going to go and find it. It was pretty much like, are you done playing Legos and changing diapers? Will you come back to Rubbermaid? (laughs) I love it. I don't know who that guy is, but I want to meet him. That's super great. (laughs) I'll send you his name. He can be a guest. He's been in the industry a long time as well. Oh, my. Just 
you know, talk about just going after the person you want. Facebook message. It worked. I feel like my face is going to fall off. Facebook message. <laughs> Unbelievable. That's so great. All right. So, and you come in in what month in 2019 did you go back? I came back basically August of 2019. Bobby so I kind of onboarded for a few months. And, and then uh, the world falls apart. Yeah, basically. I'm like, did I sign up for this? This was not really what I had in mind. Wow. And you guys, you guys, well, Rubbermaid is, is one of those companies where, from what I understand, you tell me if I'm, if I got this wrong, but you guys had twofold problems. Number one, the demand for your products went through the roof. Oh yeah. And number two, the ability to make your products became a real challenge. Yeah. The manufacturing side, like supply chain issues, I mean, outside of, I'd say, you know, soap and sanitizer, that particular category, which probably a lot of people don't even know the Rubbermaid has that, but we do. Or that did. Category, we don't have any more, right? I'm just kidding. No, we do. We do. <laughs> We're still out. No. Uh, but the supply chain issues have really, they were okay up until I'd say like this summer. And now all of a sudden is when that's really hitting. So early on in COVID, you know, mop buckets and cleaning supplies, we, our manufacturing facility is in Winchester, Virginia. And so a lot of that stuff we make domestically. So we mm -hmm. didn't, we weren't running into the hiccups and whatnot of that kind of mm -hmm. those products. Some of the microfiber stuff had some delays, but that for the most part, our core cleaning stuff, we kept up with the demand. But to your point, the demand was like crazy at first when everyone was like stockpiling and we've got to have all the things. And then the demand went and crash and burn because none of the buildings opened back up and none of the people were in public for the buildings to need to be clean. So, Oh my God, I didn't even think of that. What a roller coaster. Yeah. It's been a wild ride for sure. Wow. I didn't even consider that. Hmm. So when things kind of slowed down, we really shifted a lot of our, I'd say time to doing training. So our we have an internal training team with Rubbermaid and we put together a lot of collateral on industry best practices divided by customer vertical. So hospitality, cleaning, K-12, higher ed, acute care, long-term care, whatever. And we started rolling out training for our distribution partners for their sales teams to say, hey, like all of a sudden, everyone wants to know what are the right cleaning protocols, you know, post COVID, like with COVID in mind, or what's the best way to clean classrooms, clean restrooms, whatever, in high touch surfaces in a public building. So we kind of shifted, whereas before we're a lot more one on one out working with customers to now doing virtually working with the distributor sales reps, kind of educating them on how to be a resource for the facilities that are buying our product. So we pivoted a little bit in that time where we were all basically stuck at home and did a lot of webinars. Man, we I've mastered Teams meetings and doing customer meetings over the computer. It's who would have thought that that would be normal, but I just had one earlier today with a high school and I'm like, I could, I mean, it, it's changed the game for sure from how we interact and, and can connect with facilities. Whereas before everything was expected to be in person. And when I have a large territory, like one of my accounts, my main person is in California. So it would it previously would have arranged an in-person meeting. Well, now I don't need to do that. I can have yeah. meetings with her on the phone or on Teams and see her on my computer. And it's it's amazing how much things have changed. So that was a lot. I don't really know what the original question was. But. <laughs> well, you answered the question pretty well. It was all about supply and demand and how the roller coaster happened 
from beginning to end and then morphing into being able to adapt to this new virtual technology and everything. And I too had the same issue where, you know, I'm a consultant at the end of the day, I'm an educator much like you, except my product is business strategy, not so much an actual product, but well, it's an actual product. How dare you? You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I accused you and forgave you at the same time. Thank you. I appreciate that. And you didn't earn either, either one of them, but that's how it rolls. What's funny. I remember you know going back to Facebook when COVID happened, world shut down. I work in healthcare specifically. I remember one of my clients going, I don't think you should come in next week. I was supposed to go in, hold a meeting. I don't think you should come in next week. Is there any way we can do it on, you know, virtually? Or we didn't even use the word virtually. I think it was like, can we do it over the phone? That's right. right. Can we do it over the phone? And I held a meeting on FaceTime. That's right. Wow. FaceTime. <laughs> That's impressive. I'm surprised it wasn't Zoom. It seemed like yeah. Zoom got the, the early adopters all went to Zoom. And then um, luckily for us, we migrated percent. the teams. Yeah, but we were we were doing tours. And so I would go in and tour a facility and, and touring on zoom. Right. The idea of walking around with your laptop wasn't a thing. Yeah. You know, there wasn't a lot of, at least from our point of view, we really didn't have the, you know, the zoom app on our phone. That yeah. wasn't a thing. So zoom was stationary and, and we were doing tours. We were getting ready for a survey. And so we had to see bathrooms and corners and edges and closets. Sure. And so it was FaceTime for sure. We were on FaceTime recording on FaceTime the tour so that we could then do a report on what we saw and how we we're going to fix it, what the plan was and communication. And, you know, yeah. Yeah. All Way to pivot. That was like how the word pivot. of the year pivot. You did it. And then we went to uh zoom after that and then zoom app on the phone. And so now everything is zoom and yeah, pretty funny, pretty fun. So what, Things what is it? What is it? What are you guys forecasting now? What does it look like for you guys? Cause it seems like, I don't know. Almost, if you can, if you watch the news for half a second, which is all I can handle, it looks like we're going right back to the beginning of 2020. Like everything is going back to yeah. Mask. I, I was just on a call earlier today with one of my customers, and we're all kind of like, what we thought we had forecasted, thinking, oh, buildings are reopening. We're looking at kind of things, you know, picking back up. And I don't know. I honestly don't even know how to answer that question because. It's insane. And, and to your point earlier about the supply chain issues, things now, basically anything that you import is going to take a while. And if, if you've been to a Target or a Home Depot or a Walmart, like you'll notice things are starting to get bare. I keep telling my mother-in-law she needs to start shopping for Christmas now because there's not going to be any product left. I mean, I don't mean to like create a, a storm or whatever. <laughs> I'm not saying that you oh, heard no, it here first. because it's going to run do out. Do your Christmas shopping now. <laughs> yeah. If you have any takeaway for today, this is what you should do. But it really is starting to present challenges because for example, you know, like our cleaning carts or whatever, most of that we manufacture in Virginia, but we do have like a little wheel and axle that comes from somewhere else. So who knows if all of a sudden we can't get that for two months, then we can't ship a cleaning cart. So we have whatever. That's just an example, not like real life, but no, that's, that's kind it. of what we're looking at right now is that's anything just... that has a component that is made overseas is potentially going to be taking a long time. There is a bicycle store here in town that I use and all of 2020, the one thing they couldn't get, they can get every bike part. 
except for brakes because of the rubber. Mm. The only thing they couldn't get was brakes, which arguably might be the most important thing right. on a bicycle. Yeah, that's kind of a critical component. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's starting to get frustrating because there are things that customers are like, why can't I get this? You guys make this here. And I'm like, yeah, but there's this one little thing. And especially for schools, universities, mm-hmm. they're all opening up right now. And they're like, hey, we mm-hmm. ordered this in June. Mm-hmm. Where's our stuff? And it's I'm spending a lot of time kind of troubleshooting like supply chain issues because unfortunately it's not even us. It's that we can't get product. I mean, the delays of getting a container imported to the port in California somewhere, I mean, those are taking forever. But I don't know if you've read the articles about the port and how backed up the container, the shipping containers. I mean, it's it is insane. And then so getting that product to our facility in Virginia, go through production, manufacturing, box it up, put it on the line, put it on our dock. Then we're waiting for drivers. We have product that's sitting and we can't get carriers domestically to pick stuff up. In one case I had, so Purdue University is a university here in Indiana. Hopefully you've heard of them. They're pretty, they're big university, but anyway, we're rolling out like a campus-wide hand sanitizer program with them. So they've got like the sanitizer, the stands and the dispensers and the refills and all that, and like a thousand plus of these. And we've been tracking it. They ordered it and they're like, we got to have it before school starts. We got to assemble these, put them around campus, whatever. And so we get the order. We have the inventory. So none of that was stuff that we were waiting on, but it took forever to get a carrier to pick it up. And then it sat in their warehouse. The carrier picked it up. It sat in their warehouse in Maryland for a week before it even drove to then it went to, I think, Columbus, Ohio and sat there for a while. And like, then I finally got it to Indianapolis and had to beg them to take it two hours. So it's what normally would be a three to five day transit time took about three weeks. And it's just, if anybody's looking for a business right now, start a logistics and like a shipping company because the demand for trucks and trailers and drivers is, I can't even imagine right now. It's insane. Yeah. And you know what? That's so funny you say that because we were talking about earlier about how important R&D is to Rubbermaid because of, you know, the, the staffing challenges that we have in the cleaning industry and how it really has helped. I mean, Rubbermaid's R&D over the last 20 years, however many years, I've been working in the cleaning industry for 20, so that's all I can speak to. For the last 20 years, it's been, you know, head over shoulders, you know, every couple of years we're making these huge leaps. It's really great. But that's what that's what Elon Musk and people who are working on electric cars and driverless cars are doing. That's the next big thing is that it doesn't take two weeks to get from there to there. It's right. like they don't have a driver. They don't have anybody who's willing or able to do the driving. And that's the big challenge. Yeah. It's unfortunately, I don't see it getting any better in the short term. I, yeah. It's all like a domino effect and I don't know what's going to get things back up. Right. But mm-hmm. do your Christmas shopping now. And if do you have a new your- building open, <laughs> if you got a property that's opening or a, a new startup, all I can say is order your product, like give yourself a window of time or plan to drive to Virginia and get <laughs> your product. Oh you my what? gosh. My Rubbermaid people are probably like talking, <laughs> Stop about, talking about product backup. You know, what's funny is, I work in a bunch of kitchens as well, mm-hmm. and you might not know this, but this first week of August, I guess we're in the second week of August, but the first week of August is when most kitchens order their Christmas cookies. Really? I did yeah. not know that. You have to have your Christmas cookie order in. If you're in long-term care or in hospitals, 
you know, big facilities like that. You have to have your Christmas cookie order in now a few months before Christmas because they get, they need to know how much to order. They need to know how many cookies right. they need to be making. You can't order Christmas cookies in November if you want 40,000 cookies. Right. It's not helpful. Oh my gosh. Now you're making me nervous. I was going to do cookies for EVS week for some of my hospitals. And that's in like three weeks. I haven't ordered them yet. I'm out of luck. Hmm. Well, you may be, how many are you going to order? How many, uh, Cookies are you well, I haven't decided. I need to talk oh. to my boss to see how much he'll oh, let well, me spend. There you, go. there you go. We're gonna put in a request. <laughs> I bet, I bet, I bet you guys do. Do you guys have like a big EVS rollout for for EVS week, housekeeping week, or anything like that? It's, do you guys it's have varied every year? I typically like to do things with that. Partner with you know a couple of my top facilities or systems and offer, you know, to do lunch or put together. I think last year, I shouldn't say this and people are going to start calling me, asking me for stuff, but I, <laughs> you know, Rubbermaid, we have all these other brands. We've got like Yankee Candle and Crock-Pot and Oster, like toasters, I think. Anyway, I would order in some of our stuff and give them to EVS directors and say, Hey, raffle these off to your team through the week just to say thanks. And yeah, yeah. So I awesome. was trying to scale it down and do cookies. And now you just told me that that game is shot. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I'm not saying that game is shot. I'm saying we've always consistently year after year, you have to get your or cookie right. order in. Yeah. But you no, know, we're sense. ordering them from like us foods or Cisco foods and they, sure. they're supplying a lot of cookies to a lot of places. And so they need, Sure. advanced notice on how many cookies, how many people are going to be actually ordering cookies. So don't cookies are not EVS products. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Although they're all made in something <laughs> for EVS week. And especially I just feel like this year, because you've already said it on like every episode of just how, how rundown, like our, our team is, I feel like we're all on the same team, even though I'm not, you know, in a facility on the front lines doing the, the floor care or whatever, but so I do, I do want to do something for EVS week. I, I think it's important. I, every distributor I work with, I encourage them to do that too for their facilities because it means so much. Like a simple thank you is goes such a long way and cash it's is a better. thankless job if a lot of times, especially probably recently. Cash, so cash, is, ca cash is better. I don't <laughs> yeah. know very many, I don't know very many EVS teams that would turn away a couple of bucks. So right. if you're looking for a real gift idea, yeah, cookies I think are nice. Might frown cash on is that better. One. That one might get Cook me in a little bit of trouble. Cookies are nice. Cash is better. Pay EVS more. That's all I got to say. Yeah. They deserve it. It's a tough, it's a tough, you know, like all businesses. I mean, every, it doesn't matter if you're truck driving or you're a nurse or a school teacher or EVS, you know, manager or, or even a cleaner, you know, I mean, all the jobs have their challenges. They're all, all difficult and thankless to one, one point or another. And, but I only, you know, I'm only on the side of EVS. So pay your housekeepers more. Peace and love. <laughs> I like it. I have no like skin in that game, but I will encourage there whoever I talk to to do the same. There you, there you go. This has been really fun. I really appreciate your candor and just learning all about you. I remember when we first met and we actually talked on the phone. Yep. And, you know, just talking about whether or not, I think I was trying to talk you into being on the show. You're like, why would I be on the show? And which is basically how most people are dressed. I'm like, Hey, would you like to be on my show? What for? Well, because it's fun. And I'm asking. Yeah, I, I definitely <laughs> think it's fun. I just, you know, my husband's like, why would he pick you? And I'm like, I don't know. I guess. How dare he? Providing... No, I mean, just, you know, <laughs> I, know. I, I, I tell know. you, I don't think any of my family understands what my job is. Like they so still let's be clear. What exactly, what exactly is your job? <laughs> so my role now 
I am still an account manager. I really, instead of before where I was exclusively working with healthcare, now really anyone in Indiana, I manage all the distribution partners. So we don't sell direct Rubbermaid to, you know, we call them end users like your facility. Got so it. we sell through distribution. Mm -hmm. So I manage several different accounts, some in Indiana and one nationally that we're just working to train and educate their sales team on our products and processes. You know, if someone wants to start a recycling program, how would you start doing that? What are the questions to ask if they want to do, let's say, a waste analysis? If, if a hospital is like, hey, can you help us just kind of come in with another pair of eyes to look at? Do we have the right size containers? Are they placed in the right places? You know, do we have the right color coding or could we, you know, implement recycling or whatever? So that kind of stuff, working with the distributor reps and then also working with end user facilities themselves across really any customer it could be hospitality, property management. We do a lot with contract cleaning companies or building service contractors, just helping kind of refine their processes of cleaning. Just I mean, this year, as you know, everything has had such a microscope on what we do. And so our job, my job is really working with the people who sell our product and helping them be experts and consultants and, and just really support the people who are using our product in any way that we can. That's really fantastic. Um, a lot of B2B. Lot. It keeps you busy. B2B. I love it. And I think it's so super helpful and important to not just sell the product, but also educate people about the product and the different variants of things that you can do in different ways you can do it because there is so many different cleaning businesses with unique cleaning challenges and you know not everybody can afford the top end stuff some people there's not even a product or a service that's even built specifically for one thing and people are having to try to figure out how to use it anyway and yeah so it's 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 a challenge it's a big big industry and it's i just love it so I just, I just you. i'm not going anywhere yeah you know it's fun just one last little quick story and this is a really terrible one, but you just reminded me of the whole idea of like, if somebody wants to start a recycling program, I grew up in Vermont. And so I kind of bleed green. I just, I recycle everything. I'm yep. a big tree hugger. I don't want to see dirt in the streets, especially being a housekeeper, you know, like nobody wants to, every time I see dirt, which is everywhere, I'm always trying to pick it up, you know, trash. And I was touring a hospital in Pennsylvania. We will not talk about what hospital it is, but <laughs> <laughs> there's a hospital they will not in Pennsylvania. Be named here. They will not, they will not be named. But I'm touring, and it's one of the best parts about my job is I get to see all the inner workings of healthcare facilities. People are like, come on in the back. And all of a sudden we're touring, you know, the the backside of the OR and the ED and all that. So it's super fun. But we go around and we see the MOB. We walk through the MOB, the medical office building, which is part of the whole office camp, the the medical ops campus and they have these recycling bins at every single station. Like everybody has a trash can and a blue bin. And I'm just going whole, I've never seen so many, like it's a ridiculous amount of recycle bins. And I was like, Oh my God, the man hours I'm judging man hours as I'm walking the man hours. You guys must have to pick up trash twice. And right. I say that to the guy, the EBS director who was touring me around. I was like, well, all these around, you must be picking up trash twice. And he laughs. And he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. I'm like, okay. So we just keep touring, keep touring. And then we end up out back. Out back is where the dumpsters are. And we're seeing the loading dock and all this stuff. And he goes, do you see anything wrong here? And I'm 
oblivious. I'm like, no, what's he's like, you don't see what we're missing. And I'm like, looking around. I'm like, no, I don't see. He's like, there's no recycling dumpster out here. I was like, but the blue bins, he says, yeah, we, we collect the recycling. I said, well, what do you do with the recycling? Because we throw it away. It goes in the dumpster. I was like, how does that work? He goes, well, the medical office staff put a petition in. They did their homework. They decided, they, they picked out the blue recycle bins, the size that they wanted. They petitioned the CEO and the COO, and they got it approved to start recycling. He's like, it pissed us off because we didn't have the staff. We know now right. we're having to pick up twice. Yep. And then we convinced them that it's like a zero sort, like we're going to put it all together, but then we'll sort it when we get out to the dumpsters, we'll sort it. He said, and the CEO did give us a recycling dumpster for about three months. And then the cost of the recycling dumpster didn't go yeah. over well with the amount of recycling. So, you know, they're emptying a recycling container and it was only a quarter full. So the amount of recycling products entering there wasn't enough to justify it. And so they just stopped. They just ended the recycling contract. And then he said that the CEO asked the EVS director, just not tell anybody. (laughs) He's like, I'm not asking you to lie, but if they don't ask, don't tell, just pick up their trash. Like you normally do. And he goes, nobody's ever asked. And so we just take the recycles. Thanks. And we'd throw it away. You know, unfortunately that probably happens a lot more than we want to believe. I, I could name, multiple facilities that I've been to that do the same thing. And part of it was because implementing a recycling program is not a cost savings thing. No, it's a cost. It is likely going to have a a charge benefit or a tied to it. So Mm -hmm. no one's doing it because it's going to save them money. But Mm -hmm. yeah, that's tricky. And over the last few years, it's gotten worse because there's no demand. Like China was buying all of our recycled content and then they were using it. And then they, you know, said, actually, we don't really need this anymore. And all of a sudden, there was no demand for it. So yep. tons of stuff, even if it was put in a recycling dumpster, was probably still going to you know, a collection facility and still being put in the landfill. But yep. I will say, I just was reading an article fairly recently. I posted it on my page about talking about how there's some scrappy companies here in the U.S. that are doing a lot of things with recycled content. That demand is starting to pick back up again. And, and hopefully we'll get back to a healthy place with that. Because I'm like you, I like... There is something inside of me that wants to cry when I throw things in the trash that could be recycled. <laughs> like my husband, it drives him crazy. I'm like, no, 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 that, no, that goes in the recycling bin. Don't, don't put that in there. But you know, who I'm knows? The same it goes. Way. But I'm the I, same I, way. I do think it's the right thing to do. And mm-hmm. I haven't started composting yet, but that's on my list. I want to try and do that in my house. Do you do that? Well, we do a very, very limited amount of composting. We recycle our coffee grounds. <laughs> that's good. But we're very proud of it. That's my son is a humongous composter. He does he gardens constantly, but he has a big composting system. You know what's funny is there's this big debate over whether or not healthcare should be free. And I don't you know, there's pros and cons on both sides, but I'll tell you what should be free, and that is trash removal. Yeah. Garbage removal in every city, state, and town in America should be free, should be picked up by the city, should be run, managed by the state. Or the, and for Everybody who's like, that seems absolutely crazy. I'm telling you, I know people who are dumping in the woods right now, oh, who sure. are throwing trash in the streams, the rivers, the lakes, because they can't afford a $5 charge on a garbage bag. It's just the way it is. And so I think that I'm a big, you know, I don't know if you should have free health care, but you should, it shouldn't charge you to throw your trash away. That's what I think. 
I can get on, I can get aboard with that. Yeah. We'd be a lot cleaner. We just took away the charge. And I know that that sounds ludicrous to some, but I used to live in Vermont. There's a big housing development right on a river. And there were all kinds of like exposés where they would be showing videos of people caught throwing diapers in the river, just mm-hmm. throwing diapers, use diapers, just throw them out the window, out the door, out the back door. Cause there's rivers right there. Like, what? <laughs> Why? I live downstream from that. Could right. <laughs> yikes. Oh, yikes. Indeed. That's it. Housekeepers podcast. Thank you so much for being on today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This is really fun. Yeah. It was super fun getting to know you and, and getting an inside look at the people behind Rubbermaid. That's what I'm going to call this. The people behind Rubbermaid. Lindsay Sounds good. Hopefully the real people behind Rubbermaid are not upset with that. <laughs> you could be the face of Rubbermaid. Why not? It's going to be somebody's face. Why not yours? Yeah, well, we'll see. Today it's me, I guess. <laughs> That's right. Today it's you. That's it. The Housekeepers Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to us today. Hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please make sure you are subscribing to the show. Make sure that you are liking, sharing, telling all your friends and family about how fantastic the Housekeepers Podcast is. The cleanest hour in podcasting. And if you would like to be a guest on the Housekeepers Podcast, send me an email at info at ralphpeterson.com. And let's talk about it because I am all, I'm booking in October. I told you I'm a little popular now. Pardon me. <laughs> <laughs> but I do want to hear from you. So make sure you reach out to me if you are interested in being on the show. But that's it for Lindsay and I on the Housekeepers Podcast. We'll see you guys later. That's it, the Housekeepers Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's show. Keep in mind, the best way to ensure that you never miss an episode of the Housekeepers Podcast is by subscribing to the show and following us on social media. For those of you who are more visually stimulated, you can always watch us record the show live each week on LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube. In fact, we post all of our videos on YouTube, so make sure you are subscribing to our YouTube channel. If you love the show and you want to help us out, please consider writing a review and sharing the show with all your friends and families and colleagues. And if you are looking for more information about today's guest, all of their contact information and the links to their websites are in the show's notes. That's it. Until next time, this has been the cleanest hour in podcasting. I am Ralph Peterson, and I'll see you later. <laughs>